Hello and welcome to the Minter Dialogue, episode number 542. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast, a most proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. For more information or to check out other really interesting shows on this network, go and visit evergreenpodcast.com. So this week's interview is with my friend Lena Rancevich. Lena is a self-declared rebel, treating life as an intellectual and emotional pursuit. Formerly head of Samsung Electronics in Belarus, business person of the year, TEDx speaker and co-founder of businesses in decentralized justice, real estate and consultancy. Lena and her family had to leave the Ukraine because of the war and have set up shop in London. Her new venture, Reputy.io is a soul-bound talent wallet designed to help individuals find better jobs faster by matching and proving soft skills. We discuss Lena's remarkable journey from Minsk to Kyiv to London, the tremendous responsibilities Lena earned early, her life lessons, and how she's faced and overcome the challenges of being uprooted by war. We discuss, of course, Reputy, the problems it solves, and the intricacies of trying to map and communicate soft skills between recruit and employer. You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com. And please, if you have a wee moment, please go and drop in a rating and review because you know that is the true currency of podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show. Lena Rancevich, how lovely to have you in front of me on the screen, albeit, although we've had plenty of time in real life. Lena, in your own words, who are you? That's a philosophical question. And yes, hi, everyone. And thank you, Minta, for inviting me into this time window to speak about something that really matters to humanity. I hope we'll be there. So I'm um, I'm a venture architect at this life stage. Um, I have a mission to discover and empower talented humans. And my core values are novelty seeking, fairness, creativity, and uh, freedom. And when somebody asked me, what is the meaning of life? What are you looking for at this moment? I would say um, it's intellectual and emotional pursuit that leads to creating common good. I love that. What a phenomenal uh, wrap up. Um, the word freedom strikes me. So I, I, I like to talk about philosophy in general. And I think freedom is a word that many people aspire to. And I think that we all might have different understandings of what is freedom. How do you define freedom in your value set? I would say it is very multi-layered. So it's a freedom to uh, to design your life, to have this intrinsic motivation to choose your education and careers and um, the place where you want to live. Uh, it's a freedom of speech. So understanding yourself and navigating your life without any barriers. Mm. So little bird in my ear says, I wonder to what extent that notion of freedom is related to your past and and the fact that you are a Belarusian uh, living in Ukraine. Tell tell us a little bit more about how you think you developed those. Maybe in that process, talk about how you got to London. So it, it's a joyful and a sad journey. So we didn't have much freedom in the Soviet Union in my childhood. And I think a lot of us were aspiring to to move to another pond and to feel what it is like uh, to speak what you think and to do what you think and to share your thoughts in, in total freedom. So um, I happened to marry a Ukrainian guy and uh, that's how I moved to Ukraine. But before that, I, I built my career in the corporate segment. Um, at the age of 23, I became head of Samsung Electronics in Belarus. I ran the office for eight years. I learned a lot about the corporate world. I, my freedom was not very limited because I was I was the head of office, so I could show my creativity, initiate new projects on different levels. I traveled the world. I worked in remote teams. I hired people. 
I initiated projects. I, I was uh, the cyber mom in my country, cyber sports mom, and uh, the youngest business person of the year. So that's one of my awards. So I'm really proud of that past. That was um, an entry to the corporate world. And then I moved to Ukraine because of the family reasons. And we started building our own um business in hospitality and we invented a new hybrid format of a co-living place which was connected with a cultural venue so we literally became a culture center in Irpin a satellite town of Kiev and um, I also gave a TEDx talk about this concept and our mission was to uh, create a thriving environment for individuals where they could meet each other and uh, cross-pollinate and share ideas and have a, a glass of wine and watch an art house film in, in the lobby and then go for a walk in the forest or take the shared dogs for a walk or plant a tree. So that was the concept. And I also... Uh, built Ukraine, a few Ukrainian companies. I was a, ch a chief marketing officer in two companies. I was in consultancy for seven years, helping other founders and startup founders uh, build their businesses and uh, ideas. And my my favorite aspect of this it is partnerships and stakeholder management, because I think we can create shared values collectively instead of trying to push our product or service through, through traditional marketing channels, spending millions of uh, euro or pounds on that. So that was my business philosophy. And then I joined a, a Web3 startup as a co-founder. I was responsible for partnerships, um, company reputation, people, branding, partially for the project product. And then, well, with all that happened in the world, the um, the war began in, in Ukraine, so um, we were displaced to Germany and then to London. And we uh, we chose this final destination because I would always wanted to live in London. So we share the British values. I, have, I studied at three British universities when I was a bit younger. So I thought, well, this is a, a golden opportunity for me to practice what I have learned and to finally feel myself as a global citizen and i must say that london is is a freedom-minded uh, city and then i also met you my mentor through somebody whom we both know and who lives in the united states and he said well you know you need to meet mentor it looks like you have a lot to say to each other so i had a coffee if you remember <laughs> i do and a thanks big hat tip to craig yes hi craig um, connecting people over the ocean. And then at a certain point, um, so the previous startup was frozen because of the crypto winter, and I started looking for a job in London um, for a senior position. It was really, really hard. But along the way, I was thinking about my entrepreneurial past and about becoming a founder myself. So I, I really needed that period to build the confidence and to be able to apply for incubators. And then I met Minter again, and Minter said, well, have a look at Block Dojo. Hi, Block Dojo team, by the way, and thank you so much for, for this ticket into the startup world. So I applied for the program I, I went through, and I spent three months in the incubator this year and um, started building my own project that empowers humans. Still it's a beautiful story you know thinking back just to the 23 year old getting the position to run samsung in belarusia i mean how did that happen i mean oh my goodness i mean obviously they saw talent but that is not what i would have expected the korean run samsung organization investing in a woman who's 23 year olds in belarusia what how did that happen <laughs> There's one more input. I didn't have any business education at that point. So I, I studied linguistics and methodology and teaching and cultural studies. So um, I could only speak two languages and I took some marketing and managerial courses, but I didn't have an MBA because it didn't exist in my country. 
And when I asked this question, why me? They said, well, we invest in the rising stars and you learn on the train. So literally, I started looking for a, a specific management course or pre-MBA course that was only emerging in our country. So I applied and it was open university. <laughs> and so I got a diploma in, in management through them. So I learned on the go, I learned from practice, and then I decided to get some credentials. So I did a strategic marketing course on the way. I did a lot of other courses in technology and project management and then consultancy. So this is the way they were recruiting people in those times. So I think it's a miracle. <laughs> I was just a lucky person. Well, yes and no. I mean, I do think there is an element of luck in life. You know, you and I met and you and Andre met. There's there's always, you know, luckiness in somehow, but then you also have to craft and make the most of the luck that's given to you. So in, in all these experiences, you have sort of corporate part and then this entrepreneurial part. And and out of curiosity, really, I, I, I'm just wondering how that might be different in Belarus or Ukraine versus what we think is a civilized, developed world that we have. How different is it really, in your opinion? What are the what are the things you can carry over with ease? And maybe what are the things that you can bring that are an advantage, thanks to your background? I think I learned to operate and make decisions mm -hmm. scarcity of resources. When you don't have access to capital, when you don't have a lot of educational resources or uh, the choice of talent in your own country, you uh, get along with what you with what you have at hand. So you need to be really, really um, creative and apply critical thinking and lean methodology in order to build something. So initially, I didn't have any budget for my country from 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 Samsung. So it was really, really limited, but I had to do something to set up the brand perception and assist sales, find dealers and partners to create awareness. So what can you do without money? So you apply your brain or you think about partnerships. And this is what I learned. And then when I moved to Ukraine, uh, there was a better con uh, situation because lots of foreign companies are represented there and you get access to a, a better sample of people because the population is five times bigger and um, all the people travel to Europe and get foreign education so you can uh, find talent, you can find the resources, but still there are local rules that you, you have to play by. And I was working for Ukrainian companies that didn't have this global access. So... Um, Working with limited resources, I, th I think, it is a good skill for, for any business. <laughs> if you can do I, it with money, you can, can you imagine what you can do with money? Indeed. I mean, it, it, it speaks to sometimes I'm working with teams and and things are going well. And uh, well, there's an issue of how to manage growth. But it's also in those times that it's really quite useful to be sharp-minded and to cut back because it's easier to cut back in those good times um, in order to prepare for when the shit hits the fan because it will inevitably cycles being what they are things happening in the world being what they are lane i want to before we we get into what you're doing in london cycle back to march of 2022 um, because for most people we we only know about this through the news and the incredible cycle of war and misery, hardship. And of course, now we have things that are happening in, in the Middle East, in Israel. Um, your experience, um, how, how did that go? You Because basically, you must have had a feeling something was happening. But then overnight, uh, the, the shit did hit the fan. So talk us through what what was your experience? So we had been reading the news about a potential war and um, there were school programs that prepared um, civilians to collect all the necessary things in one backpack and being able to relocate somewhere. But we didn't really take it serious. We thought, well, in the modern world, 
the Second World War competed again. So it's a digital war, it's an information war, um, intellectual war, but nothing on the ground. So we were not prepared. And uh, war has always been my biggest fear after watching documentaries about fascism and uh, about um, all the atrocities that happened in that war. And uh, when we read the news, we, we made a decision to buy tickets uh, to Germany and to fly before the war because I didn't want to watch it. I, I thought I would rather stay there for a while. And if the war doesn't start, then we'll, we'll always come back. But I don't want myself and my children to, to see the war. So you had enough of an understanding that it was potentially going to happen. And you didn't take a backpack. You you managed to get a suitcase and basically leave to Germany where you'd already had experiences before you knew some people and you managed to take it out, but then you're outside. And of course your husband didn't go with you. Yes, correct. How was that? Yeah. So um, he stayed in the house because he couldn't believe that they would come and um, attack the civilians and who had residents at that time. So some people were renting the rooms in the house and he said well i'm i'm the house owner and i built the house with my own hands well not literally but he organized the process and uh, this is our family nest and uh, i'll stay here i'm the house master but one day they came so no nobody could could believe it and you're in Germany and then London, and Andri, who I of course know, and big hello to Andri. But um, how was that? Uh, I mean, that certainly couldn't have been easy to be now outside of your home, uh, dealing with new things, new administrations and bureaucracies, paperwork, uh, strange culture, different cultures anyway, um, and and then always the angst of having your family and, and friends and husband who were in the midst of it all. I mean, how did, how, how did you survive that? How did you, what, what techniques did you have to deal with that? And I would characterize that as true hardship. I think this experience, experience wasn't that traumatic for me as it was for, for the people who stayed inside the country. And I was always living with this sense of guilt that I'm not there, that people are suffering, that people are killed in, in, in the next um, house to hours. And you, you could see dead bodies in the street or children killed inside the cars or raped. Um, I had this sense of guilt, but... I was comparing myself with them and I thought, well, I can survive. I'm, I'm alive and this is a, a great gift that um, I need to preserve and I need to look into the future. Uh, I need to talk to my family and to my friends and uh, try to do something for this. So uh, um, what I did, I created an online database of other co-living spaces in different countries and I shared the link saying that uh, you can address these houses and find your new home outside of Ukraine so these places had uh, spare rooms they could accommodate Ukrainians I agreed upon upon this with the people that I know so that was my um, minor contribution uh, I couldn't do more because everyone experienced stress at that moment so we're saving our lives and we're reading the news in, in Telegram channels shared by our neighbors. Uh, this uh, horrible pictures of what was going on in the, in the streets. We had five tanks uh, parked around our house. I don't want to share the whole story here because this is the wrong angle, probably. But Suffice to say, it was a grisly experience. And of course, I, I know a little bit more. The thing that I, I, I would like to talk about is the notion of resilience. We talk a lot about it in the West. Oh, you need to be resilient. Um, we also talk things like authenticity and agility and uh, liberties, free speech. And some of those things are, are absolutely great. Um, but when it comes to resilience, I keep on thinking that 
if we have so many mental health issues in the West and we haven't gone through what you and your citizens of Ukraine have gone through, um, is it is it a real resilience that we're developing in the West? I mean, are we are we just deluding ourselves that we're resilient because you know my my BMW got scratched? Oh my gosh, uh, I broke a leg. Oh, that's that's terrible. I lost a thousand pounds. Oh, that's sad. But how do how do you how do you view from your angle? Because it's got to be a very different type of understanding of what is hardship and resilience. Look at that. I wish I could compare the experience of building resilience here for a long time because I'm not an insider yet, but I can certainly relate to the level of resilience that we went through and we were building and tempering ourselves in, in Belarus and in Ukraine. And when anything happens on the domestic level or pedestrian level, so I think people don't get angry because we went through the collapse of the Soviet Union uh, through sort of shortage of food in the early 90s when you had to stand in a queue to buy a pair of socks, but the socks were rationed. You could only buy two pairs of socks per month or there, were, there was no meat in, in the shops, only bones, and uh, you had to source it from the village. You had to grow your own vegetables. Um, it's called food sovereignty at the moment, and it's like a hype word. That this is a new trend, growing your own food and having little gardens everywhere. But it was a necessity back in the Soviet times, and we thought it was a norm. Um, so we went through this, and then uh, when we moved to, to Ukraine, uh, the uh, world economic crisis began in two weeks. So late 2008, you remember what happened. So a lot of people lost their jobs and were in the middle of this construction process. Um, I recently delivered a, a baby, so my baby was three months old. I didn't have a job, obviously. So my husband had the position. So there, there was a lot of uncertainty. Before that, there was the Orange Revolution. But then in five years, there was Maidan. So the cycles were shorter and shorter. And then there was the war uh, and COVID, of course. And then there, were the, there was the election campaign in Belarus uh, with the massive protests in the streets when thousands of people marched out to against the regime. Uh, so I think we got used to these to this volatility, and now we know the word for it: resilience or the agility of mind. But uh, not taught this at schools, so it's um, innate. We 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 learned it from practice. There were a lot of good things in the past. So in order to be, you know, fair. We, we had really good education in sciences. Um, for example, uh, I learned coding 30 years ago at school. When I say this in London, people think I'm probably very, very old or I, <laughs> I'm writing fairy tales. But we had it as a subject, IT technologies, information technologies, was one of the normal subjects along with um, advanced maths and languages and chemistry. And then I learned it at the university being a linguist, but it was a must um, subject in those times. And, and here, my daughter is not learning coding and she's 15 already. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so, it's well, it's, it's, it's funny, you know, you studied linguistics as I did as well. And uh, I got to coding. My first experience or exposure to coding was at university in the United States. So I really did also think of it, though, as learning another language. And back, so I'm a bunch older than you, Lena, but back in my days, I started learning Pascal and C basic or C and basic um, as a like just an introduction to figuring out how that all works and it was lovely uh, also thinking about typewriters moving to computers in for you and me probably writing large dissertations and how much easier it was with a computer than a typewriter lots of changes and, and it's very good that you highlight the positives because obviously Belarusia has quite the reputation these days um, 
with Lukashenko and all that. But this is not a political uh, subject. But I do want to ask you, what uh, for your your friends who are still in Ukraine who are dealing with it, it's sort of been pipped in the news these days when this podcast will be released by what's going on in Israel and Gaza. Um, but what 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 help? What what do they need? What's going on, and what do they need? If if someone is listening to this and wants to do something useful today, and thinks that Ukraine is a place where they need to want to invest some time and and maybe money, what would what would you say is needed back in Ukraine right now? I think it's human and business connections, because a lot of people are trying to restore the economy and to create a new vision of the country and new systems and new economic relationships. And we really need to interact with um, companies from outside of Ukraine and to build new partnerships at this point, even before the war is over, learning from each other. Um, Ukraine and Belarus are really advanced nations. We have great human capital very well-educated people, technically-minded, freedom-minded, especially in Ukraine, there's huge creativity. Uh, wherever you go to a restaurant or to a school, you can see a, a holistic system that is nicely wrapped uh, and well-thought from inside. So you have this whole experience, and I really treasure this. So we need these connections first. Uh, second, um, we need to create the right reputation of individuals um, uh, for those who live outside of Ukraine. Because sometimes the perception of Ukrainians uh, or Eastern Europeans is distorted. So um, a lot of people don't know about the technical talent. If you don't work in IT, you wouldn't know about the best programmers that are sourced from, from our part of the world. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of people are now forced to work at reception or cleaning companies or catering companies. Those who have PhDs in the background or senior positions, this is totally unfair. But there is a reason for it. So we all need to adapt and to play by the local rules. So I would work on uh, creating a fair reputation of uh, Ukrainian people who are trying to contribute to the societies where they found themselves after the war, contributing to, to the ecosystems of other countries being valuable, not using just their hands and feet, but also applying their brain and being visible for these abilities and well it has to deal with soft skills of course and mm. <laughs> this partially my mission and i was triggered by this uh discrepancy and well slight unfairness which is unfair by design i would say uh and i was thinking how can i repair this how can i make talent visible how can i help people understand their next career move where else can they apply? Uh, can they apply their transferable skills? Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out. Mm. Well, I'm going to give a little hat tip to my lovely Ukrainian-born uh, Russian friend who works in uh, Moscow, Alex. Um, there's this uh, the rigor, thoroughness, uh, definitely culture that comes through um, with my knowledge of Alex in particular. And also, um, yeah, a, a level of, of hardworkingness. That is, uh, I think, I don't want to call it puritanical, but a little bit close to that. There's a stronger sense of, of a work ethic. That's the way I view it. But of course, those are generalizations because there's always lots of bad and good and all that in every country. Um, so moving, you did say that uh, by design, there's a, it seems like by design, there's a poor reputation. What did you mean by that? Uh, so the remark was not only about the reputation, but ab about the recruitment process and career building process, <clears throat> because 
in 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 Eastern Europe, you can build your career pretty fast. You can become a senior manager at 25. So you don't have to wait for years until you are promoted. So it's not linear. It could be it could be exponential because you, you show your achievements. And um, having um, the high competition for senior positions here among locally educated people, which which is understandable, it's really hard to find the same position that you had in your own country, even if you have a brilliant mind, you're over-educated, over-qualified. So it's hard to get through, probably because we don't know how to communicate ourselves. We definitely need to learn the local codes and to play by the local books. Um, it takes time, but I thought, could could we shortcut this time? Could we make people more visible so this is what i mean by design and the current uh, recruitment process relies on ai as we both understand having the shared experience in the past with this session about empathy so it appears that empathy, that ai is recruiting ai at the moment and the human element is uh, neglected so a lot of work is automated and it's really hard, especially for young people, to get through and to be shortlisted for, for an interview. So this well, is by design. <laughs> so. You are a testament of why we should be hiring more Ukrainian or Eastern Europeans in general. Because you also are, are very, you've said it several times, you need to adapt to the local rules. And I think that is the smartest way to go. It doesn't mean you can't bring things that you know how to do, like your resourcefulness, for example, but it's also about fitting in. And, and um, I guess there's, there's always a dilemma between fitting in and belonging. How do you, how do you sway between fitting in, needing to fit in and a sense of belonging? Hmm, interesting. Well, I heard another combination about culture ad and culture fit. <laughs> hmm. You bring something, but you also fit into the matrix, into the culture code. It is really important to be yourself and to feel the sense of belonging to your true nature, to your personality, instead of twisting yourself and feeling this discomfort, uh, which aggravates your, your efficiency at work. And um, your mental health, I would argue. Yes, yes people are, get frustrated and then they, they quit their jobs, so it's an in game uh so the healthy balance would help i think because if the company is interested in you that means they see some potential or gems on you trains of thought or perspectives that could be useful for, for the business development so there is a reason for that you don't have to uh, adapt yourself 100 percent because you'll become one of or you'll become somebody else who right. already plays in the same uh in the same team well that is a, a great uh, topic of interest for me but let's talk about reputee now so this is the project that was born out of your experience at block dojo as i understand it reputee.io i suppose the io is indicate it's all techie um and the idea is to help companies as i understand it to recruit the right soft skills for the culture that you have. What is the problem you're solving with Reputee? We're helping recruiters and talent managers to better assess soft skills, as you said. So this is our core project, but on, on the top level, it increases the accuracy of hiring and promoting decisions. I'll give you a few numbers. So 57% of recruiters struggle to assess soft skills. They do psychometric tests, behavioral tests. They seek um, recommendations. They look for endorsements. They look at social media. Uh, they ask tricky questions, but sometimes, well, majority of them can't assess uh, the consistent skills because every time we are doing a test, um, we have a certain uh, set of level of hormones, mood, outside, inside, temperature, whatnot. It's a snapshot. It's a snapshot, exactly, instead of a documentary. 
So what we are doing is we are shooting a documentary uh, literally every day, capturing the moments when a person is showing certain skills outside of the working hours or during the working hours. It doesn't matter because it's all about uh, our human skills. We can demonstrate leadership um, uh, at a parent committee at school or at a um, tennis club or at a charity shop, anywhere. It's not only about the, um, the working environment or critical thinking or creativity. So these, these uh, features live with us around the clock. So we're helping to uh, to evidence them. We're creating a container uh, to upload all sorts of evidence and all types of content that would prove that we have these skills. I absolutely adore that, Elena. I hadn't really, I haven't had this conversation with you. And the idea of presenting me as a person, as a human being, a father, a tennis player, a outside of work person is, is absolutely delicious. And I think it's, it's one of the things that we get wrong in business is to think that it must be a hire based on competency and professionalism. And yet things like trust, ethics, relationships, it's all personal. And, and we're so poor doing that. So let, I want to start with one question, which is how does a recruiter actually understand what is the thing that they're looking for? Because on a paper, empathy, great, uh, team skills, great. Yeah, but, you know, how does that actually jive with the way we are? Is, is it the right thing? It's like on paper, intellectually, I want these type of really great people, happy-go-lucky, optimistic, whatever, doers, uh, but how does one go about crafting the right set of soft skills for your company in the first place? Well, there's common knowledge and we, we have AI that helps us to understand what kind of roles require what skills. So we'll be heavily using AI to update all the data and all the lists because the professions are evolving, uh, but there are also certain constant things like um, managerial skills. If you if you aspire for a leadership position and you want to become a team leader, so it's all about people skills and you need to be a good motivator, good speaker, good team worker. You need to have this uh, uh, very good time management skills because a lot of people will be addressing these different issues. So I think this... Uh, skill set for for a managerial position would be more or less the same for any industry, uh, and um, well, will be aided by AI in any function. But still, so um, we also help people to understand their skills because there's no such a subject at school or university that teaches you specifically soft skills. There are a lot of courses. Um, I'm meeting coaches who are teaching kids um, empathy or, or analytical thinking or teamwork. So uh, they do have this gig gigs, but it's not a must for everyone. So first stage is to learn your skills. Who are you? So you can do it in multiple ways. You can also use uh, psychometric tests or simulations that would give you an idea about your skills but then you can also grow them connecting with different coaches or learning platforms or uh, meeting other people in real life or in zoom and practicing the skills given certain tasks from real companies for example working on real challenges from from the business world and preparing yourself for, for the new role so this is second step growing the skills if needed and third step step is uh, evidencing skills and this flow works for those people who know about their dream job but what if you are tired of teaching or working as an economist or as an architect and you want a twist in your career so how do you choose you need a coach, you need a mentor, probably. You need a psychologist who knows you well or ask your mom. Uh, how about making a decision yourself, making it really intrinsic and also rely on data. So um, our app will help you understand the set of skills that you have and will 
bring you all possible options and roles that you can apply for having this skill set. So it opens the horizons and it brings more freedom of choice and self-confidence in switching the careers. I'm talking to many people, especially today, who had a session with people who are switching their career into IT. They want to become software engineers and they are former doctors, drivers, um, school children, whatnot, economists, biologists. So they all want to go into IT because they are fascinated by technology. But the the hardest thing for them is to present themselves to potential employers and to make sure that they are a good fit for the corporate world after being a bus driver, for example. Or a so, biologist or an academic. Yes, or an, an, an NHS doctor who has never worked in a corporate world, never been in, in an office at a meeting. So the employer would really hesitate whether it is a good fit. But what if you can prove this? that you're a good team worker, you can communicate ideas, you can analyze ideas, and it doesn't really matter what you did in the past. You can always learn on the job. There are internal courses, uh, LMS systems that teach you their profession, given you have the right material, the right skill set for, for this role. Yeah, LMS, learning management systems. The the issue I want to get back to is just quickly with regard to the employer looking at employing and saying, what is the right fit? My observation from my experience is that we don't really, as an employer, fully know ourselves. So we might aspire to have great people, but we're shits. We might aspire to have empathic individuals, but that is not what we do. It sounds right, but it's often wrong. And I'm getting the feeling that in your approach, you're really looking at mostly teaching individuals looking for jobs to learn more about themselves and how to express and explicit their soft skills that may be transferable, forgetting the competencies that are needed. But what about the companies? And I feel that they too need a little learning about real talk about who they really are yes exactly so the companies really need to understand their values well it, it's a very tried expression i think that everybody is talking about company values and fit and everything but still values is about common beliefs and they and a shared vision of the future i think that relies on the values so people could be different uh they could have um radical characters or or you can have only calm people in the team or protesters and rebels in another team you can still share the same vision okay so it is really important to understand what, what is the north north star metric as we say in the startup world so what is the final metric the final goal that we are aspiring for and then we need to understand what kind of people we need in the team how many um Will the roles be fixed or can these people switch the roles inside the team? Maybe it, it, it'll be even healthier. So employers and especially HRs uh, could test themselves to understand what kind of material they are. Maybe they are diluted. Maybe they want to have the same people as them. Sales, like cloning yourself because of course we are the best people in the world and we <laughs> we want to like king the king i not the king and i the king i the king i yes so a lot of leaders think well i need just another me to do this work this job but they don't understand what kind of another person would be complementary to their to their own personality I, I heard an expression from um, psychologist Nikita Mikhailov, uh, who says personal intelligence is crucial these days. So if you learn yourself, if you have this not emotional, but personal or personality intelligence, if you understand yourself, you understand what kind of people you need around you to, to be successful or happy in your personal life. So it all starts from ourselves. Amen. Know yourself. I mean, gosh, I think that 
was a very much a, a Greek dictate. I think it was Aristotle who said, know yourself, something like that. Yes. Maybe it was Socrates. In any event, the idea of knowing yourself is, is really fundamental and fun, knowing yourself as an individual. But then within that, and that's the hard piece, knowing what I'm not good at and being okay with that from an ego standpoint. Well, I'm, I'm shit at numbers. How can you be shit at numbers and run a company? Well, I am, and I've got other qualities, but I am really bad at that. So I need someone who's much better than I am at numbers. And, and not only have the humility to accept that, but to say, let the other person shine. And I feel like in many companies, these types of positions and postures is, is missing. So there's a lot of grandstanding. There's a lot of what I should be doing. There's a lot of what I would like to do, but not really or not real in terms of what the perception is. So that must be a challenge for you. But going back to reputy.ai, where you are crafting these soft skills. So as I understand it, you have the people who are showing themselves in a documentary fashion over a period of time, my soft skills. How do you evaluate the soft skills? How does one, is it, is it really just a, well, you see it is what it, you get. If you see it, that's what it is. We as human beings know what funny is. We as human beings know what authentic is. We as human beings actually can feel empathy and, and, and see empathy. Is it, is it really about observation or are there ways that we can evaluate and more graphically measure what we're looking at? Good question. So um, the Latin expression is cognoscete ipsum, learn yourself. Just remember this. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, we'll be given prompts about assessing and evidencing soft skills. So the first step is the vocabulary. So what is empathy? What is critical thinking? Because we don't know the, the, these terms. So there'll be a lot of prompts inside and how to evidence and how to measure. So um there are a lot of tools that help us measure certain skills. For example, neurosensors that would detect our eye movement, our uh, response in, within a conversation in Zoom, our body posture, our emotions, facial expressions, where, whether we're really sharing what's being said or just making believe. Uh, so there are sensors that uh, can, can help us. Uh, we can also measure the sentiment, the tone of voice in the text that we're using, describing a certain case study. Um, but we would also suggest that people rely on their self-assessment. Uh, having learned this theoretical part, so if I really believe I demonstrated good uh, time management skills and I can describe this and I can probably ask other people to endorse me for this in, in a good way, not, not fake in this experience. Uh, so if I'm capable of that, then I will put this evidence into my card, into my time management card. And if I'm not, then it would be just a wild guess probably or my personal opinion and it's up to employer whether to trust it or not so we're just shooting a documentary we're not assessing anything we're not giving any scorings we are avoiding this black mirror effect when everything is scored and people rely on on social graphs only we don't want to be managed by numbers we're human beings so it's like a family album. If I'm the employer and you send me uh, your talent wallet or talent portfolio, I'll, I'll look at the feed, I'll check the photos, videos, case studies, endorsements, uh, proof of attendance protocols using the term from Web3. So little NFTs that prove that I attended a certain event at a certain location on that date. So there are multiple layers of verification. So I can look in, inside your documentary and make my own opinion whether you possess these skills or not. Or maybe you have faked them, which is also possible. And we're thinking how to reduce fake. Mm. Not bulletproof at the moment, but we are, we're building a methodology. And that's the biggest challenge. That's very exciting. When I 
When I, I'm listening to you, I'm thinking of LinkedIn's, uh, when they have that option for presenting your skills and then the ones that are voted on by others. I was wondering what your opinion is of that set, that rubric on LinkedIn. Is that something that is by numbers uh, officially useful or do you find that's mostly gimmicky and or fake? Mm. There is um, a degree of fake, of course, if you are well connected and you have a lot of friends and you you want to, to gain from this profile, you want to get a job, you'll ask your friends to, to support you. So we're human beings. We, we help each other. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean to me as a recruiter that you have a lot of friends and you can convince them to do something for So. Yeah, I get it. Is there a way in your project, are you looking at any elements that are more meta in terms of data? You have the individual recruitment. This company wants these soft skills that happens or doesn't. But is there is there a play that's more big data on in the way you're looking at reputing? Yes, so so far we'll be um, using the metadata like location stamps and timestamps. That would be immutable, especially if we, uh, if you use blockchain, then every entry is indelible, immutable. Uh, it belongs to you, so you you manage the access to your data, and uh, this is about the self sovereign identity. So you you create your profile. Um, it lives with you forever. Don't lose the keys, basically. <laughs> the golden rule, um, give a token to another person to open your profile. So there are uh, there are metadata, but I'm sure it's not enough. So I'm still learning the new tools uh, that Web3 brings to the space. So we'll start with, some, with a basic solution and then we'll, we'll be adding extra layers of verification. All right, so I'm feeling a little old in this one, Elena. As much as I would like to believe that I understand, I don't. But blockchain, uh, to what extent is a, a recruit needing to be familiar with blockchain in order to be able to use and verify my soft skills? You don't need to know anything about it. <laughs> so it's under the boot. It's, it's the back end of the technology. As a recruiter, you just click on the link and you see something that looks like a personal landing page with a dashboard with my name or my pseudonymous name or just my number, which is a combination of um, numbers or, or letters. So I could be anonymous to remove bias, right? Mm -hmm. And you'll see my dashboard and the set of cards and you'll see the position that I'm applying for. And this is it. And you make a, um, an unfair decision about myself of course if you click the card you will see my face probably on, on, on the pictures if it's not blurred and if i don't want to disguise myself completely so you don't need to know anything about technology it's literally made for for illiterate people almost for kids for grannies for anyone it's very yeah. so i'd love for you to cross a uh, or at least to, to dot a t or cross an i we talk a lot about transparency, authenticity, and then there's anonymity and removing bias. Because if I were a uh, visibly diverse person, or from my accent, you hear that I, I, uh, je suis très français, you know, uh, that could be that could uh, bias the the person who's trying to hire me. So how do you cross that kyber pass between transparency authenticity give me the real thing anonymity and bias so the answer is very simple i believe our product will be used at a second stage of the interview so we can't avoid the uh, spider software that scrapes information from our cvs as text so it analyzes the text by keywords, we can't skip it. We can't replace this software at this point in time. So the candidates will be pre-selected and then they will be invited for, for a job interview in Zoom or in person. This is the moment when you meet the eyes 
of another person. And this is the stage when you can unmask yourself and send your documentary to show the skills instead of doing a test in real life and being stressed and probably failing it or faking it if you know how to so show the consistency of skills and if you're an introvert so i'm especially worried about talented people who who have dyslexia or who can't communicate themselves who don't speak foreign languages but they're talented in maths for example and the society doesn't receive this talent so we're not making use of this talent so the person who's really really shy and introverted will be able to communicate their personality via the documentary which would be uh, designed during their more calm moments natural moments in life almost every day i love it i i just recently saw the film the intern with robert de niro and to get hired he's a, a senior intern at this startup. And I don't know if you've seen it, but he has to do a, a video of himself. And I thought that the video that he rolled was delightful. And uh, I, I cried a few tears in that film, but that's for another discussion. Lena, your, your project reputee.io, this, you, you named it as an app just now. What's, what's needed next? What, 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 if someone's listening to this, how can they go find it? understand more about it uh, and and what what are you trying to do next and and if anyone was interested in this project either as a user or maybe as a supporter and is interested in it uh, from an hr or a financial standpoint uh, tell us what what we can do oh this is a precious question thank you <laughs> so we are at the stage of building the minimal viable product something the mvp the famous mvp I'm decoding the acronyms. So, and uh, we have a wonderful team of interns, six people who we invited to help us develop the code and the the product idea and the user flow. So I'm really happy. I'm, I'm literally sitting on campus here, uh, working in the same space. We had a, an in-person session today, brainstorming ideas. So it's a wonderful experience. So, um and we're really open to new ideas and to people who want to join the mission, who want to learn something about startup life or soft skills or presentation skills, anything. So it's it's very reciprocal at this point. And who can bring some uh, their knowledge, for example, recruitment experience, um, expertise in psychology, development, coding. So junior software engineers are welcome. Designers, uh, people with crazy ideas, uh, art directors. So anyone who feels like you, they can improve the, the product, they can co-create it with us. And uh, my my question to, to the companies would be whether anyone is interested in piloting Repity to help to, to bring more transparency into the hiring and promotion process, to aid to aid their diversity and inclusion initiatives, empowering talent, finding talent, recruiting recent graduates, because young people are normally hired for potential, not for their work in history. So I'm open to, to meeting people from the corporate world. And of course, we are fundraising at the moment. We do need angel money, smart money to be able to build a proper product that integrates AI and blockchain tools um, and to launch it here in the UK and to start bringing value to both sides, to job seekers and recruiters. So someone who is eager to invest in talent and bring their expertise and social and financial capital are very, very welcome. Hmm. <laughs> Wonderful. I, I take away from our chat, Lena, a strong thread of collaboration. It's a word and a feeling I get, your ability to collaborate. It's, it's really, you don't come across as a, like a, an owner and someone who has to run it the way you, you, you clearly are open to others and their feelings. You also, in my opinion, talk about diversity in the, in, in the fully the rightest of ways, which is diversity of opinions, diversity of backgrounds, diversity of, of thoughts. 
and, and ways of being. And, uh, and I love the idea that you also recognize that learning and, and competency happens through experience as opposed to in schools or in textbooks and, and you learn on the way. And I, I think those are wonderful qualities that you have, Lena, uh, which I appreciate and a few more, but hey, I can't get into all of that. Um, that'd be saying too much. Big hello to everybody who has put us together and, and keep on going. And I would encourage anyone to go check out what you're doing at reputed.io. I feel it's a, a really worthy mission and, and you have such integrity in the way you go about things. Anybody who wants to reach out to you will not be disappointed in hanging out with Lena Rancevich. Um, concretely, what are the ways to reach you, connect, contact you, Lena? LinkedIn. So let's connect on LinkedIn professionally, or you can fill out a very short form on our website saying that, well, I, I mean, I want to, to meet you, I want to contribute. Uh, we're not using any other channels, so I would say yes. Well, I would add that you and I are co-authors of a book now available on Amazon. Lena Rancevich, uh, it's such a pleasure to have you on. I'm going to put all those in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Ninto. <laughs> Thanks for having listened to this episode of the Minter Dialogue podcast. If you like the show and would like to support me, please consider a donation on patreon.com forward slash interdial. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast service. And as ever, rating and reviews are the real currency for podcasts. You'll find the show notes with over 2,000 and more blog posts on interdial.com. Check out my documentary film and four books, including my last one, You Lead, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. And to finish, here's a song I wrote Stephanie Singer, a convinced man. I like the feel of a stranger tucked around me, precipitating the danger to feel free. Trust is a Still I won't tell the lie I sit here passively Hope for your respect Anticipating the thrill Of your intellect Maybe I tell myself There's no use in me lying I'm a convinced man Building an urge I'm a convinced man a convinced man in the arms of a woman I'm a convinced man challenge my fate I'm a convinced man competitions in me a convinced man in the arms of a woman despite revenges and struggles Live for the challenge so life's not incomplete What's wrong with challenge? I know soon we all die I like the feel of a stranger tucked around me Precipitating the danger to feel free Trust in my reason and let me show you why I'm a convinced man practicing my lines I'm a convinced man hearing these confines A convinced man in the arms of a woman I'm a convinced man me to the test I'm a convinced man I'm ready for an arrest of a woman 
you've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.